Welcome to the Raised with Jesus podcast, 10 minutes every day with life with Jesus meets yours. You've got your weekly feature podcast episode, Thirsty, with Pastor Michael Zarling and Pastor Jeremy Leighton, today looking at Ecclesiastes chapters 7 through 11. If you're following along with our Bible reading schedule in the show notes or at bit.ly slash rdobj2021, you'll see that this weekend's Bible reading is Psalm 5 and 6. Welcome to episode 3 of our Thirsty podcast with Pastor Zarling, myself, and Pastor Lightning. We're going to be looking at the last few chapters of Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Here in chapter 7, Solomon is talking about the contrast of wisdom and folly. We're not going to talk about every single verse because there's a lot packed in here, but we're going to touch on a few of the key uh, verses in this section and, and apply them to our lives. So the first one I thought of was verse 2, better to go to a funeral than to a feast, since death is the final destination for all mankind. Uh, That echoes what God says in Psalm 90, teach us to number our days in such a way that we bring a heart of wisdom. Uh, Funeral feasts are wonderful. I do a lot of funerals over my 25 years in the ministry. And there's sadness at the funerals, but there's also rejoicing, which is a huge difference for memorial services. Those are just sad because they only focus on the living. And now that the living are gone, then the only thing that's left is sadness. But at a Christian funeral, then there is time for rejoicing because the saint is in heaven enjoying God's eternal banquet feast. And so at the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, we join in that feast with the saints in heaven while we're here on earth. Uh, I wanted to bounce back just a little bit to verse 1. A good name is better than fine perfume and the day of death better than the day of birth. So you see how there it leads into the point that uh, Pastor Zarling just made. Uh, I wanted to focus, though, on how a good name is such a great gift that I don't think people think uh, think about very often. Uh, God's name is his reputation, all the facts we know about him, and that is Christian doctrine. That is very important. Uh, But it's also a good gift when he gives each of us a good reputation. And I think it's easy for us to think, you know, I don't care what people think about me or... Uh, You know, if people don't like me, that's their problem. Uh, There's a lot of people that that have uh, that kind of a mindset, uh, but God also gives a lot of blessings through a good name or a good reputation. There's a lot of doors that open when uh, people know you and and know what you're like, that uh, you are dependable, that uh, you are friendly, whatever the case may be. And then I looked at verse 5. The fool's laughter sounds like thorns crackling under a cooking pot. And I was reminded I grew up watching MASH. Uh, that, not the most wholesome show now when I look back on it, but there was always a laugh track. And, and I'm just wondering, are these shows that have laugh tracks really all that funny if you have to have a sitcom where you are telling people, hey, we're forcing you to laugh. Well, laughter is a gift from God, but laughter that covers up evil and ignores the day of reckoning is kind of like taking aspirin for cancer or laughing on your way to the cemetery. Uh, I might be skipping some uh, good 
thoughts in the verses after that, but I'm going to jump to verses 9 and 10. I thought they kind of made a nice contrast with each other. Uh, First of all, do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. I don't have the EHV translation in front of me, but uh, that translation made me think a lot more about young people and how uh, when you're young, uh, it is really easy to get fired up about things and, and to, to have fluctuations of emotion and get passionate and angry. And this is saying, make sure you, you temper yourself. And you can almost see uh, all of the old timers sort of leaning back and nodding their heads in agreement. Yeah, you young people, get a, get a control of yourself. But then verse 10 contrasts with that for the old timers. Do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. Uh, everybody thinks that the days long ago were the good old days. And uh, really, when you look back at it, there were probably a lot of things to complain about back then, too. Maybe even more than we have now. Yeah, uh, thinking of those glory days in verses 9 and 10, exactly. I was thinking, how many of us really want to go back and relive our high school and college years? Uh, you know, we may remember them fondly, but Solomon is reminding us to live in the present. Look for the future. Wisdom lies in understanding how God is working in our lives. Uh, you know, look at verses 13 and 14. Look at the work of God. Indeed, who can straighten what he has bent? On a good day, enjoy the good. On a bad day, consider carefully. God has made the one as well as the other. So no man can find out anything that will come later. Uh, according to what these two verses are saying, what should we conclude? We say that God is sending the good times and the bad times. We can't ever figure these things out. We still revere God according to verse 14. And if you think These last few weeks, these last few months have been rather rough for us in America. And we might think that these are the worst things ever, worst year 2020 ever. Well, that's only because we're not students of history. Uh, The tension we feel here in America right now was probably worse back in the 60s and 70s with the race relations and the Vietnam War. Before that, you had... The two wars to end all wars. Before that, you had the Civil War. That that just divided a nation, but divided uh, families. And maybe God is bringing judgment on our nation, just like God brought judgment on Old Testament Israel, carried away into captivity in Assyria, the way God carried away uh, the nation of Judah into Babylon for seven years, maybe God is bringing judgment on us, which we see as bad, because of our nation's polytheism, our atheism, our permissive sexual behavior, our murdering of the unborn, and so on. And uh, I'm glad that you brought this up, because I wanted to just go back and take another look at verse 13, who can straighten what God has made crooked. And that might cause some listeners some... uh, pause or some concern to think of God making something crooked. Uh, How can God do anything wrong? Uh, But uh, that's a good time to remember the difference between uh, God's consequential will and his antecedent will. Those are some kind of big fancy words, but uh, the point is, if God makes something crooked, it's because it's a consequence of human behavior. It's not because he decided ahead of time 
that he wanted to uh, do bad things or make people's lives miserable. No, that's called his antecedent will, and uh, maybe a better word would be preliminary. He planned ahead of time that uh, he wanted nothing but good for humankind. Um, he, he chose his believers in eternity for salvation. Uh, he created the world completely good and perfect, and uh, he wants nothing but good for us. So if he does give us things like the uh, social unrest, uh, people storming the Capitol, the riots, it doesn't matter who, uh, illness, it doesn't matter what side you're on. If he sent us uncertain times like this, it, it exactly like you said, it has to be only as a consequence. It's not because he wanted it that way. And so you can kind of figure out that, as Pastor Lightning mentions, consequential and ante- antecedent will, one of two things is happening is, He's a lot younger than I am, and he's close to the seminary, so he remembers this stuff better. Or he was just a way better student at some than I was. <laughs> uh, look at verse uh, 21. Furthermore, do not take to heart all the words people say, so that they not hear your servant cursing you. Uh, you know, we, we might say, let it go in one ear and out the other ear. I have an older lady in our congregation that when I was preaching my sermons during her Advent season on depression, she was uh, greeting me after the service and said, Pastor, that was a really good sermon today. And I said to her, well, and I teasingly, aren't all of my sermons good? And she said, no. Uh, And she was being honest. And her husband said, yeah, she's kind of blunt. But yet, I let it go through one ear and out the other. I didn't take to heart what she said because, yeah, she is blunt, but she loves her pastor. She loves the sermons and so forth. But there are some sermons that uh, touch people's hearts more than others. And so we can't just jump on people right away. We apply the Eighth Commandment and take their words and actions in the kindest possible way. And finally, if you would try to soak up all of the feedback that everybody could possibly give to you, it would probably be overwhelming uh, and, and devastating uh, so that you couldn't do the job that you needed to do. Uh, and so that's why there's a lot of wisdom in that verse. Do not pay attention to uh, everything people might be saying about you. And then <clears throat> Solomon talks in verse 26. I kept finding out that a woman whose heart is a trap is more bitter than death. Her heart is a hunter's net. Her hands are chains. The man whom God recognizes as good will escape from her, but the sinner gets trapped by her. What Solomon's talking about here is what a blessing it is to have a spouse who shares your Christian values with you. Uh, Solomon didn't find that, even though he had... A thousand wives. He did not have someone who was a soulmate. As opposed to his father, David, I don't know if any of his wives were soulmates, but he had a good friend in Jonathan who was a soulmate. And so for you, cherish that soulmate, someone that you can trust completely. I, I, I like how you took that verse because I think it would be easy to think that uh, Solomon is really dumping on women there by saying, you know, just picking on the woman. But uh, yeah, that's good to take the different angle of, uh, yes, cherish, cherish the positives of marriage uh, rather than complain about uh, uh, the bad parts. 
So anything else you want to bring up with chapter 7? We could we could move on to chapter 8. All right, you want to take the lead on this chapter? Uh, well, uh, I, I think you can start by uh, looking at how wisdom brightens a man's face and changes uh, its hard appearance. Um, it, I, I guess I would jump to something like uh, storytelling, you know, and, and you've mentioned this about your preaching style too, that uh, people are a lot more engaged when you're telling a story. You're giving a narrative with beginning, middle, end, and uh, characters, and it's drawing people in, and it's also informing them. Uh, and, and maybe that's kind of the idea with wisdom brightening someone's face. As they're hearing a story, they're saying, hey, I can relate to that. Uh, it, it's, it's really uh, brightening my life a little bit to be able to engage in, in whatever this story is. And one of the things I do like to tell stories, I write stories for Bread for Beggars. You can go and find some of those. There's some, lots of Star Wars stuff on there. Uh, I know a couple of people that, you know, they like telling stories too, but I kind of gently remind them, hey, brother, a story has a beginning and an ending and it has a point. Sometimes they just, they just tell stories just to hear themselves talk. In uh, the next couple of verses, you have some uh, fourth commandment issues. Uh, it says, Obey the king's command, uh, I say, because you took an oath before God. Do not be in a hurry to leave the king's presence. Do not stand up for a bad cause, for he will do whatever he pleases. Um, since a king's word is supreme, who can say to him, What are you doing? And, of course, that would... Uh, speak to us today about our, our civil government and authority figures, uh, but really any authority figure. And we were talking before we started recording about how uh, I might be a little bit jaded by this verse right now because we just finished uh, semester exams at uh, Shoreland Lutheran High School. And uh, when I read this part about do not be in a hurry to leave the king's presence, it sort of made me think about how my uh, many of my students are in quite a hurry to leave the classroom and uh, I can see why that might be a little bit uh, frustrating if you're the king. And then verse 11, when the sentence for a crime is not carried out quickly, people's hearts are emboldened to do evil. And you can apply that to the government too, but I want to apply it first, like Pastor Lightning said, uh, with school. I teach my 7th and 8th graders at Wisconsin Lutheran School here in Racine, and if I see one of them uh, cheating, and yet I don't deal with it right away, what are they going to do? They're going to become emboldened, and they're going to continue to do that. Or we've seen it this fall with protesting, and protesting that can then involve, uh, involve into riots. And yet, I think of one instance this fall where it's out, out, out east in a country town, where a protest became a riot, and yet the police right away identified the ringleaders, arrested them, and then charged them, and the judge gave each one of them, I think there were eight of them, a million-dollar bond. And you know what happened with the riot? It ended just like that because they came down hard on it. And what happens is if you allow evil to continue then people are going to become emboldened. I liken it to a two-year-old in the grocery store, that when he starts pitching a fit, if the parent gives in and buys him the toy or candy he's crying for, 
that emboldens him so the next time he's going to do the same thing. But if the dad shuts everything down, he leaves the cart there, he goes outside with his child, uh, maybe leaves the store completely, he deals with his two-year-old in discipline, eventually that child is going to learn to behave. And what's true of two-year-olds is true of adults, too. Uh, I'll just wrap up the chapter then with uh, verses 16 and 17. When I applied my mind to know wisdom and to observe man's labor on earth, his eyes not seeing sleep day or night, then I saw all that God has done. No one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. Despite all his efforts to search it out, man cannot discover its meaning. Even if a wise man claims he knows, he cannot really comprehend it. Uh, So I suppose you could say it's sort of an exercise in futility for us to sit here and try to explain these verses. (laughs) Because, uh, no, well, maybe I should just say what we did in our first episode, that uh, it may not be deeper, but at least it'll be different. Uh, We we can't claim to be experts on it, because uh, even a wise man uh, cannot comprehend all the things on earth. Right. And with those verses, you know, Again, we can't understand how God is managing the world. Why does a young woman, who seems to have a great life, die very young? And then why does an old man who is in poor health and is begging God to take him home to heaven, why does he keep on living? Why do tyrants seem to keep getting away with their evil and the righteous are punished? Uh, We can only say, someday I will see clearly that God has loved me dearly. My encouragement to you is, as you're trying to figure out God's will in these times, is read through the book of Job. You kind of have to slog through it. It's difficult. And just read Romans 8 as well to see how God and God's people deal with the problem of evil in our lives. Uh, So Solomon is reminding us in this chapter and the chapters before us Uh, We should enjoy life, but we should never try to be able to totally figure it out either. Uh, And then chapter 9, I kind of theme this one, a a cheery theme. Solomon says, death comes to all. Uh, And so there, again, uh, the first six chapters are evidence of a pessimistic view of life in a world uh, where life is not fair. It seems that uh, the good are not always rewarded, the bad are not always punished. And worst of all, death impartially carries some uh, away and not others. Yeah, I, um, I, I can't uh, claim to... Um... Yeah, I don't have a lot to say right there. Well, Sorry then, then I'll then I'll talk about some Star yeah, Wars go, stuff. Keep 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 going. I saved all the way to chapter to episode three to talk about Star Wars because I'm a big Star Wars fan and I'm waiting for the third season of The Mandalorian to begin and and the next Boba Fett show to begin and all the other Star Wars shows. Uh, so right now, in between, I'm reading Star Wars graphic novels. Uh, one of my daughters said to me, "You mean comic books?" And I said, "No." Comic books are read by kids. They're just single issues. But when you take all the comic books and you bind them together, they become a graphic novel and then adults can read them. But in the Star Wars universe, it often seems like the Empire gets ahead. 
the Emperor and Darth Vader are much stronger in the Force than Yoda and the Jedi, Han Solo, Leia, Luke, and the light side of the Force. It can often seem like evil wins, both in the Star Wars universe and in real life. Now, in Star Wars, the Force is supposed to balance everything out, but in real life, God is in control. He may or may not balance things out, especially from our viewpoint. Uh, yet we trust that he's in control, and that helps us from getting too depressed or too optimistic. Yeah, and I, I, I don't know if I really do have much more to say about chapter 9 because you kind of summed it up already uh, with just talking about how uh, why does the young woman who has so much promise in her life uh, die young? And why does the old man who's begging for death live on for many years? Uh, that's kind of a theme throughout the whole chapter. Uh, the race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise. Those are all things that you would think make sense. Uh, but then so often, well, not often, but on occasion, uh, it doesn't work out that way. Right, and with those verses, exactly, uh, that maybe, you know, we got the NFL playoffs that we're in right now. The best team doesn't always win. The stronger army sometimes loses a war. The wisest plan doesn't always succeed. Entertainers and, and athletes are paid more than those who educate children or save lives. Success in life seems to depend on luck. So, again, I'll talk about some Star Wars when it talks about luck. So in Star Wars, A New Hope, uh, the Rebel Alliance is greatly outnumbered by the Empire uh, with their Death Star. Luke makes what seems to be a million-to-one shot to destroy the Death Star. The Ewoks in Return of the Jedi, they crush a chicken walker with two logs suspended from trees, only because the chicken walker happens to walk right in between where those two logs are. Uh, Han Solo is blind and swings his staff and hits Boba Fett in his jetpack, sending Fett into the Sarlacc pit. Again, all of this seems lucky. The strong and successful empire doesn't win. And again, it seems that way in real life, but we don't say it as luck. We just trust that the Lord is in control. I will uh, kick off chapter 10 uh, sort of by saying that, uh, first of all, this reminds me a lot of the book of Proverbs. Uh, there's a lot of uh, separate individual little sound bites, and uh, any one of them would be a great topic of conversation for an hour or more. Uh, but uh, I don't know if I have anyone in particular that I want to focus on. Maybe you could just grab a, a few if you had them in mind. But uh, the one thing I did want to say is... Uh, Often I will tell people, whether they're in a, a Bible class that I teach or a student in my classroom, that uh, when you're reading the Old Testament, a neat way to do it is to think, what was it like for the preteen Jesus to read these words? Because the Old Testament was his Bible. And so, and he, and he learned it. He knew it. We think of the boy Jesus in the temple. Uh, he was very familiar with it. Um, and not just in his omniscient uh, God person, uh, or I should say his God nature, um, as a true human, he knew the scriptures. And so I often like to say, what would this sound like coming out of Jesus' mouth if he was reading it out loud? Or can you think of a time in his life 
when uh, Jesus, th this would have applied to him or uh, this would have been especially meaningful for him. Um, and just to kick things off, I'll uh, take a look at um, verse 7 where it says, I have seen slaves on horseback while princes go on foot like slaves. And uh, maybe a way to apply that to Christ would be so often he had to walk from place to place uh, as a, a lower class or middle class citizen. And then there were uh, people who were enslaved in sin uh, who could uh, ride on horseback in the, in the Roman Empire or in, the, in Herod's palace. And going back to verse 4, uh, because there's so much anger and angst right now, that, that verse really stuck with me. If a ruler's anger rises against you, do not abandon your post because keeping calm puts serious sins to rest. So the encouragement there is remain calm in anxious situations. Now, this is a learned skill. Uh, we're talking to our high school senior, Lydia, about going into the Army ROTC in college next year. Now, she's not real interested in having people yell in her face. But it reminded her that she wants to go to college to become an airline pilot. Uh, that's high stress. So people are never going to be happy with her. The flight attendants, the traffic control, uh, and especially her pampered passengers. But if she can learn how to deal calmly with stress right now in the Army, well, that's only going to help her in the future. And then I look at verses uh, 8 and 9. A person who digs a pit might fall into it, and one who breaks through a wall might be bitten by a snake. A person who quarries stones may be hurt by them. Someone who splits logs may be endangered by them. Uh, verse 10, if the axe is dull and no one sharpens its edge, the person chopping must apply more strength. But an advantage of wisdom is that it give, gives success. And so what those verses are talking about is that... Uh, Every undertaking in life involves risk, regardless of whether the undertaking is good or bad. Uh, now, even though every situation involves risk, you need to have good preparation and a good plan to reduce that risk. Uh, and so one of my favorite people to read and then to listen to on social media is Mike Rowe. So Mike Rowe uh, if you don't follow him, I would encourage you to follow him, read his books, read his mom's book. She's really funny. But Mike Rowe, you might know him as the host from Dirty Jobs. He does another number of other shows and narrates a lot of shows. But one of the phrases he's used, and I really like, is the phrase, safety third. And what that means is that if safety was first, we would never do anything. If safety was first... I would think uh, explorers would never have left Europe to come to America. Uh, we would never have put a man on the moon. We would never leave the house. And so there always has to be a balance between fear and respect. If safety was first this summer, my daughter Miriam and myself, we would not have gone skydiving and then two days later uh, done 200 miles of biking in two days. Uh, there's always a balance of safety and risk. And that's what Solomon's talking about in those verses. I, I guess I'll just then wrap up the chapter by uh, going back to that thought I had before about uh, how can you see Jesus in these words? 
Um, maybe in verse 19, a feast is made for laughter and wine makes life merry. Um, that made me think of uh, his first miracle, uh, a wedding where he turned water into wine. Uh, and uh, the Pharisees were quite upset that uh, Jesus' disciples were uh, such a bunch of rowdy uh, merrymakers that uh, they were wondering. I'm thinking of that passage where Jesus said, um, boy, we just can't uh, please you. This generation is like children that uh, stood in the marketplace and uh, didn't like it when people sang a funeral dirge for them, and they didn't like it when uh, they, they sang happy songs. Uh, and then in verse 20, um, when it says, Do not revile the king even in your thoughts, or curse the rich from your bedroom, um, I, ca- I can think there about Christ's trial and how uh, even in his thoughts, uh, he wasn't having any sinful thoughts against Pontius Pilate or uh, the high priest uh, during his uh, illegitimate trials. Uh, and uh, he, he perfectly lived life for us as our atoning replacement. And then moving on to chapter 11, uh, verse 1 says, Cast your bread on the surface of the water, then after many days you will find it again. Uh, in the commentaries I read in studying this, I can talk about uh, brewing beer, that soaking bread in water is one of their methods of brewing. You had to destroy the bread to get the beer. But I'll let uh, Pastor Lightning kind of talk about brewing beer with that verse if he wants to. So as you all heard last week, I do have this hobby of brewing beer. And so I, I also just uh, took a class recently on Ecclesiastes taught by a member of our church here uh, this past summer. And uh, I hope that I don't bring any shame on the teacher by uh, getting this wrong, but I think that I've heard there, there are at least three possible interpretations for this. Uh, casting your bread on the waters could mean uh, a reference to business or merchants who their bread or their money or merchandise is what they send away on ships uh, to foreign ports so that it can uh, bring back a, a return or a dividend. Um, the other thing would be something to do with uh, charity work, mm-hmm. kind of like um, uh, feeding your feeding the ducks in the park or maybe throwing bread to those that are less fortunate, something along those lines. Uh, but then there is the one about brewing beer, that in order to uh, brew a batch of beer, you need to waste, in a, in a sense, a whole lot of water and a whole lot of uh, uh, malted grain and, and maybe some other ingredients. And it may seem like a waste because if I mess this up, the whole batch is ruined. I, I had a, my brewing mentor actually told me one time about a batch that he made where some glass broke inside of one of his devices, one of his tools broke, and it was glass inside of the batch of beer that he was making. And uh, he had to uh, pitch the whole, he had to throw away the whole batch of beer. And uh, it goes back to what you were saying before about um, the balance of risk versus preparation versus safety, um, that you do need to take a risk uh, when, you, when you make a venture. And, and that's any of those, whether it's the charity work or the uh, businessman with the bread sending his merchandise far away or the brewing. Uh, in any event, you have to take a risk uh, to make a profit. And then... Solomon says in the next verse that you kind of uh, need to equal out your risks by investing differently. He says, put part of your investment into seven 
or even into eight ventures, for you do not know what disaster might come upon the land. So uh, my daughters, the four of them, this Christmas, they got stocks from their grandfather. And that might seem kind of weird, but my girls were really excited to get the stocks because they are diversified, the different kinds of stocks. And now they can go on the news and then watch their stock go up and so forth. And so you want to invest differently. But I think also you, know, you want to have your money in investments, but also applying it uh, to use your money as a Christian to support charitable gifts generously. Uh, you want to sow the seed of the gospel. We might say, don't put all your eggs in one basket. And then verses 3 and 4 I want to touch on. If the clouds are full, they pour out rain on the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, wherever it falls, there it will lie. Whoever keeps watching the wind will never sow, and anyone who keeps looking at the clouds will never reap. What Solomon is saying there is some things in life are inevitable. Some things cannot be done. So if you're waiting for the perfect conditions to undertake something, you're never going to do anything. This week, uh, I spent a lot of time talking to other pastors and missionaries. I serve as our Southeast Wisconsin District Mission Board Chairman for the Wisconsin Synod. So in talking with these pastors, it's kind of interesting to see they're not waiting to do ministry work. It's hard to do ministry work right now, especially people aren't always coming to church. If they're online, you don't know if they're there, you don't know if they're engaged, uh, and so forth. And it's hard to go knocking on doors. People don't want to answer the phone. And yet, uh, talking to some of these congregations is really interesting. They're not waiting for the perfect conditions. One, they have a Japanese preschool, and they're trying to figure out how do we uh, share the gospel even more with that. One, they found out that their, cult their culture in their city doesn't look very diverse. Everyone looks white. But when you talk to the people, you realize they are Polish and Bulgarian and Russian. And the church is trying to figure out how do they better minister to those people. Uh, there are some who are trying to do mission work in their grade schools. Others that are thinking about expanding their church and having a second site or daughtering a congregation. So the, the key is that even in the hard time of this uncertain time when we're living in, these pastors, these congregations are doing God's work. They're not waiting for the perfect time. And I trust that our God, the Lord of the church, is going to bless their efforts. I'll just add two more thoughts on, on chapter 11. Uh, one of them is, if I can go one more time to that uh, thought about uh, finding Jesus in the Old Testament, or uh, at least thinking about how he would have read the Old Testament. Uh, verse 5 says, As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. And uh, the part there especially that uh, made me think of Christ is the body being formed in the mother's womb. It's right after Christmas time, and you can think uh, nine months before Christmas, whenever it was, we 
don't, can't say for sure when the uh, birth of Christ happened or during what season, but uh, that was also another human body that uh, you would not have been able to see. Uh, when did it, or how did it start? When did it begin? When uh, was there first a human being? It was a, a mystery with God, how he creates life. And then the uh, other thought that I wanted to add was from verse 9. Be happy, young man, while you are young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things God will bring you to judgment. Uh, At the class that I took this past summer on the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, one of the students brought up a great question about that verse. Uh, He said, are you sure that we really want to tell young people to follow their heart? Uh, And uh, it's even true from a biblical standpoint. Christian doctrine teaches us that the heart is perverse and twisted above all things. Uh, But again, this is talking about not so much the spiritual uh, side of things, but life under the sun. Uh, If we didn't have any word from God, uh, or rather maybe I should say, if we're not talking about uh, God's word, Uh, then you should pursue something in life that you enjoy. Uh, The teacher answered the student's question in the class this past summer by saying, we wouldn't want to tell young people to go seek out a job that they hate. Uh, Whatever whatever job you seek out, it should be something that you're passionate about and that you enjoy, uh, and that will make it a, a pleasant experience despite all of the hardships that will come along with it. Yeah, and to pick up on that, I'll quote Mike Rowe again. Uh, He has spoken at numerous graduations, and he tells the students, you know, don't follow your dreams, exactly what Pastor Lightning was saying. Uh, And it sounds so weird. Uh, It sounds exactly the opposite of what most people are going to say at graduations. But the dreams are often going to be unfulfilled. Uh, You know, you might want to be an artist, but you might starve at doing that. You might want to become an astronaut, but you're you're not good enough to do it. and so I would encourage you to listen to what Mike Rowe has to say about that in his graduation ceremonies. But I wanted to bring up with these last verses too, in verses 9 and 10 about the young people, uh, you know, they, they should find happiness. But the great thing that Solomon is saying and what Pastor Lightning and I will teach our young people is you find happiness. Uh, you follow your heart, not your sinful heart but your sanctified heart as Christians. And find your happiness, your joy, by doing what Christ wants you to do in God's kingdom. And, and with that, I'm really encouraged in our congregation that I've been blessed to have a very good relationship with our grade schoolers and high schoolers, that every year we have a very successful soccer camp. And what makes it so successful isn't the amount of students that we have, the campers, it's more the number of high schoolers that come and help. I have to sometimes turn them away because I might have uh, 20 helpers for 50 kids. That's how much our teenagers love to help. And this summer, I was talking to uh, Nick, who is now a senior at Shoreland Lutheran High School. And I said to Nick, because he was one of the coaches and teachers, I said, hey, Nick, you're really good with these little kids. And he goes, I know. (laughs) <laughs> so he was real humble too. And I said, you know, have you ever thought about being a teacher? And he said, I kind of thought about it, but I, I like doing math. And I thought about do, going into the trades. And I said, you know what? 
What we really need in our area Lutheran high schools are math teachers and trade teachers. And you can be one of those. And he said, really? I can? And so now I'm really excited uh, to tell you that he's going to Martin Luther College next year with a number of our other students. And it's really cool to see so many of our young people getting involved in doing the Lord's ministry. Maybe going into the trades, going to college, but still going to church, still active in their campus ministries in their college, and then going on to Wisconsin Lutheran College, going on to Martin Luther College to be involved in the Lord's ministry because that's where they find fulfillment for their sanctified heart. All right, so we're going to wait on chapter 12 for next week. Chapter 12... Uh, is going to be talking about remember your creator. And then you're going to start reading the first four chapters of the Gospel of Mark. And so there you're going to see the only begotten son of the creator. And so we're really excited to get into Mark. I am, because Ecclesiastes is tough. There's a lot of things here. Uh, I'm looking forward to applying the gospel uh, in those gospel stories and accounts and Jesus' words to your life. Have a great rest of your week, and uh, we'll see you next time on the Thirsty Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. If you have any feedback on content or questions that you would like to see addressed or hear addressed, rather, um, go to raisedwithjesus.com slash podcast, and there's a form that you can fill out there, or check out the show notes. You can email us at rwjpodcast at gmail.com. God bless your day.